0: But you know, I think part of a revolutionary act is being like, I'm not going to let that change me. That's, I can't allow that to harden my heart right now.
1: For fuck's sake, a theater podcast, aka 4FS Podcast, hosted by Aaron Salazar, episode 10, Art
2: and authenticity. All right,
1: here we go. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to episode 10 of For Fuck's Sake, a theater podcast, aka 4FS Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. If it's your first time, welcome, welcome, welcome. We're so happy to have you here. Hi, my name is Aaron Salazar. I'm a New York City award-winning producer and director. If you'd like to find out a little bit more about my bio, check it out on 4fspodcast.com. We're Raging into episode 10, September's here, Labor Day has passed, we're officially out of summer, and uh, I couldn't be happier to bring in this incredible human being, artist, everything above. Morgan Siobhan Green is here with us, everyone. It is such a gift to have you here. You've been setting the matches. It's been a gift, a gift, there she is. we <laughs> here right now, moisturized for the gods. All right, let <laughs> me give you a little backstory about Morgan. You should go back and listen more to the first episode nine. If you haven't, stop right now. Press stop. Go back to episode nine. Get ready. Put that shit on, like, a Bluetooth and, like, get some stuff done around the house and get ready, okay? So, she was most recently, whatever that means in COVID time, at American Repertory Theater's production of Moby Dick in Cambridge, Mass. That was written by David Malloy of Great Comet fame and directed by Rachel Chofkin. Also, great comment, and currently Hadestown won that nice little Tony. On Broadway, she was in Joe Iconis' Be More Chill over at the Lyceum. She's worked with Pipeline Theater. Uh, She's worked with Patricia Birch. She's worked at the New Ohio Theater. She's also worked at Kansas City Rep with Jeff Calhoun, kicking out Between the Lines. And uh, she is an alum of Bradley University and Long Island University, holding multiple degrees and a master because that's just how she rolls. She's also an educator working in Brooklyn and the Bronx, making sure that the children know what the fuck is up. And somehow she's here holding a dog with Dress <laughs> and Gods living her best life, getting on a mic an hour behind Eastern Standard Time to share her brilliance with you. Everyone, let's give it up for Morgan. Yes. Welcome. Thank Morgan, you. how how are you doing today?
0: You know, I'm definitely feeling those Midwestern sinuses today. Mm. It, you know, it's different being surrounded by buildings and then being surrounded by a cornfield. So... I'm feeling it.
1: That's right. I'm yes. How are is, you? I'm pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. I I'm I'm been getting great feedback about episode nine. I'm so happy about that. And uh, a lot of shit going on. I'm actually working on some stuff that we will unpack sometime somewhere. <laughs> that uh, you know, it's that's not the point of this podcast. But I'm working on some stuff that is very exciting. And actually, to be honest with you, I feel like I sort of manifested it because there's definitely a point of view that. My mind is at right now as an artist.
3: Yeah. <laughs> and
1: you know what I'm saying? And yep. what's great is that i I really believe in manifestation. I don't know how, how what you think about that, but I sort of put it out in the universe, and some things have popped up that are very exciting that are definitely in the wheelhouse of what I've been wanting to chase, you know. Yeah. Do you do you believe in any of that? Like synchronicity or or do you or, I mean it maybe me believe is the wrong word because it sounds like religion, but do you sort of acknowledge those things like synchronicity and visualizing manifestation?
0: You know, yeah. I believe in the power of words and the audacity to say something, even though it hasn't happened yet. Yes. Um, and you kind of there's an accountability you hold the earth and yourself to and whatever your higher being is you know i pray so you know you hold all those things accountable you're saying hey this is what i want to do let's get on it y'all yeah. <laughs> you know and then it and it and it kind of just it aligns with this idea also for me that my heart is also ready to receive it and sometimes just the, the disconnect if i feel like i am shy too shy to express it or and to stand in it then maybe i'm also not ready to have it so you know, saying it and being like, I know I don't have this thing, but I want this thing and I'm going to live my life every day as if that thing is coming to me to be ready for it. Um, Sometimes that, that speeds up the process of it coming to you, you know?
2: I really identify with what you just said. And I like that you said
1: being ready for it. You know, I think there's something about that that is... Uh, really rings true to me, it's interesting I, when I was listening to um, <laughs> it's such a weird transition, Ian McCallan. Uh, <laughs> is, uh, I mean, who doesn't love Ian McCallan? Come on. I what?
0: met him in London.
1: No, I want, okay, wait, we're unpacking this. Talk to me about meeting Ian McCallan. I need to know everything.
0: I was doing an abroad for that in the first episode when I was talking about the Tempest. Yes. We were studying there and I went to the Donmar warehouse. yes, yes. yes. And They were doing Richard II. Eddie Redmayne was Richard II. And they said, you know, Ian McKellen's in there. And I was like, what? No, he ain't. And I had like 37 theater tickets in my purse. So I picked the wrong ticket. was at the wrong seat. And I was literally watching Ian McKellen watch Richard II. And I had just like started watching Lord of the Rings. This was maybe like seven, eight years ago. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: And... I saw him outside and I knew it was really American to ask for his autograph or to, like, take a picture with him. But I was like, you know, I was going through a time and also I was like, it's Gandalf. So, like, <laughs> I'm going to go say something to Gandalf. And I ran across the street and I took a picture with him and he was great.
2: Yeah, it I'm was cool. gracious.
0: He seemed really nice. He seemed tired. He seemed like, wow, they just ran across the street to talk to me. And I was like, yeah, you know, I'm not bashful about it. It's like that, like that, you know, the audacity to go and ask for it. You know, I would have, I would have much rather gone and asked him be like, you know, you shall not pass than like stand across the street and be like, I'm not going to be that American and like regret it. If that makes sense.
1: Well, it also goes into what you were saying in episode nine, hint, hint, dear listeners, (laughs) if you haven't please do about when you become part of something bigger than yourself you have to be ready to understand that you're recognized and that people want to meet you mm-hmm. it's it's all part of the gig and it strikes me that he's one of those and bringing it full circle around he said you know it's all luck but of course you have to be ready for luck mm-hmm. even though man you know trying to manifest your your dreams and thoughts is a little more than luck. But I agree. There is something about, I mean, isn't that the whole premise of the arts is the audacity that any of us think highly enough of ourselves to do this?
0: Can I say something? It's kind, of, it, it's kind of been weighing on my heart, not just the manifesting part, because I do, you know, I do believe in manifesting. I do believe in the power of words, is standing in your hopes and dreams and the marriage of work and dedication that has to go with that. But I'm also a huge advocate for opportunities of failure that I believe that people of color in general don't get allotted the the space to not get something, right? The space to grow and develop which only comes from like e- immense pain of stretching and you know, falling and you know, being corrected and growth and, and in our industry in particular, the failure goes hand in hand with money. You know, it's it's completely unfair, you know, to be in a position where you're preparing for this amazing role and someone's gonna pay you to prepare for it.
2: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: Versus getting an audition for an amazing job that you are totally sure you would be amazing for and spending, you know, half of your paycheck to prepare only to find that they went and got, you know, so-and-so who's already done 75 million things, who doesn't need to have this thing, who daddy got money or family has money. And then to realize, wow, you know, I literally spent my electricity bill money trying to prepare for this thing. And it's like, I am interested in a world where the two get to coexist, where the people who manifest are the people who have also failed upon, failed upon, failed upon, failed. Didn't get beat down because they failed. That failure is a part of the journey to mastery. And and I'm looking forward to more people of color uh co-opting this idea that we do not have to be right and perfect and a master at everything all at once that it comes with every single day dedicated to whatever that craft is.
2: I could
1: not possibly agree with you more. It really leads into the sentiment of where my thoughts were today, in particular because I'm sure you saw it yesterday there was a day of action for I'm an arts worker, you know, people mm-hmm. were in Times Square and one it speaks to exactly what you said about I don't think people realize how much literal money is invested in this craft to create things. And for us to feel like the government has sort of not acknowledged the literal monetary value that we bring as arts workers. And Mm -hmm. two, I I actually venture to say, I don't think there's any human being on earth, aside from arts people, who could ever cope with how much we put in versus how much we get in return monetarily. Mm-hmm. And that failure you're talking about is something that I'm very interested to see if we are allowed the agency to fail. I'm concerned. My concerns with the, like, look at, remember I sent you that that link. I think it's wonderful. But Lincoln Center just launched that new initiative to have three playwrights of color and their plays are going to be on Broadway. Full stop, right? I think that's great that a nonprofit who happens to be attached to Broadway is allowing that opportunity. My hope is that they allow that also to be an opportunity to either fail, and if it succeeds, then great. But I'm concerned that what's going to happen is that the people who are given keys to the kingdom, at least the lease. There's going to be so much pressure on them to be successful. And then the normal machine that's been in charge of everything so far that has been problematic Mm -hmm. is going to look at that as a measuring post of, well, see, we gave it a shot. It didn't work. It didn't work. When, if you just go to the playbill vault, it is littered with tombstones of failure you know but yep. i wonder if the pressure on creators of color is going to be greater to succeed i don't know i don't have an answer
0: i don't have an answer either but i think it's also something that we have to we have to be the bishops of our own boundaries mm. and i think that is something that i'm learning i follow this instagram twitter account called the nap ministry
2: what is it, it again? The, the nap? nap,
0: yeah, like, yeah, like taking nap. All right, like taking naps. Yeah, and they are very vocal about how napping is revolutionary. Yes, especially for Black women. Like the 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 denial of exhaustion, the denial of hustle grind culture, is revolutionary because everything that lies within our success by society standards is being book 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 books. Yeah. You know, going from here going to here going to here doing this and like not fully resting, not denying opportunities that maybe aren't serving us and then accepting opportunities and not requiring what is necessary for us to do our best in that situation. Like am I going to lose more in this moment? then I'm gaining. And if I'm losing, who's going to gain from from me taking the loss in this moment? And I really do think that it's, you know, a a lot of people are so excited about being like the first this or taking up and being the inaugural this. And it's like, yeah, in theory, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. then you're going to get some press releases. But but then the next moment are going to be people waiting to watch and see if it's good. Yes. And are you sacrificing the, the the stories that you really want to tell for the stories that you think are going to be received? And who's who's gaining from that? You know, that's why, you know, as a writer, it has always pained me to see the way that people gatekeep um, literature and gatekeep um, accessibility to. Uh, literary agents or or having opportunities that you know will put some type of money on the table
2: mm-hmm.
0: because back to session nine yep sometimes education and training you know i've been saying i feel like the universities have become a home to like misfit artists as mm-hmm. far as like those that are educating like yeah. they become the place that people that that maybe didn't get as far as they wanted or maybe didn't, you know, find the success that they thought they would find. Now they teach the next generation and they build these hierarchies of of power where you are there to please your professor rather than master and understand the tool. Like when you go to school, they give you these tools, but it's important, every single student that's hearing me, please. Please, please, please hear this. It is important that you know what you're doing when you leave, because any type of teaching or master classes or, or mini sessions you're going to get after school, you are paying out of pocket for that. You're paying these people to teach you. So anything that you don't fully understand or can't grasp, you have every right to Dive in as deep as you need to dive in to be able to say, Thanks for this toolbox. Not going to use this hammer, not really my style, or this screwdriver, but I get this monkey wrench and I know how and when I could use this monkey wrench. Like it's not about using everything all at once. Sometimes you take a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and we get into these systems of just wanting to please and just wanting to stick with the status quo that we look up and it's like, who actually gained from this moment? Nobody, I, the person that needed to gain is not gaining. You know, it's, I think it is unfair the way that people of color, when they step into a position, and I do say people of color, because I do mean all, all people of color, especially people that are not passing and I'm very specific when I want to say black, I do say black. I do want to make that uh, specific note. Yes. But there when people of color step into positions that there is this pressure that if they don't do well, nobody else of color is going to be able to have access to that opportunity. Yeah. We have to get, I don't even know how we got here, how I got here, but we have <laughs> to get past. We have to get past that. I guess it's all about feeling like you alone have to carry the weight of a moment. Yes. I think that's, I think that's where I'm coming from. Yes. That can't have individual needs that you can't say, I don't understand this. Well, this is the pedagogy it has been working for 10, 15 years. Maybe there's something wrong with me. No, there's absolutely nothing wrong with me. Yes. You're an individual who may not fit the, prescribed, you know, method of teaching and just not ask questions. Asking questions is like everybody should be inquisitive. If you're not asking questions, you know, everyone is looking for a community of artists who are willing to interrogate the work in the room that they're in. Period. All around.
4: Yes. Yes. All around. And with that, you
1: know, it's interesting you should say that because there's a double standard there without question. How many, and this isn't to demonize, but how many non directors, let's say, I'll say directors, right? Of color, have you worked with who just go, I don't really know what to do here. But I, but I think as like a director in a room that's been a lot of the opportunity that's not white, I don't want to seem like I don't know what to do. Even though that's not how I work, to be, to be totally clear, and I, maybe this is me flexing a little bit. My greatest asset is I always fucking know what to do. Now, do I always know what's going to be the definitive thing that ends up frozen and in front of people? No. But in terms of like the map to that path, I always know. It was the biggest thing that made me question a lot of directors when I first came up and started working with people was how often they'd look at me and be like, hey, Aaron, I have no idea what to do right now. Do you have any thoughts? Which was great because it actually allotted me to to learn my religion when I was underneath people. but. It seems that there's an entire industry of people who are allowed to say that. And I think that there's a pressure on non white creators to feel that we're not allowed to voice nebulous thoughts and also not allowed, like you said, to be inquisitive when inquisitiveness is key to life. You know, the thing that I've started doing recently as a 41 year old man, and it's been so fucking refreshing to have this fear taken away from me because my insecurities, I'll just share this, is. The insecurities of like, oh, am I smart enough? Am I this? Am I that? You know, just like that thing, because I feel like every bit of information I learn, I feel like I don't know anything after that. I'm like, do I know anything? <laughs> but apparently, the word on the street is, from my Ivy League friends, is that that's actually good because it means you're constantly, constantly wanting to learn.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So I, I I accept that as a breath of uh, r- relief. But I've been bold to just straight up ask when someone says a word that I don't know. I'm like, what does that mean? And it's been really refreshing that I've been surrounded by people who are generous to say, Oh, so yeah, that means, and I'll straight up be like, can you use that in a sentence? Can you define that? And then I'll look it up. No, I don't mean like basic words, which there's nothing wrong with that either. <laughs> there's a lot of people saying per se up in this fucking world that, really don't use it correctly. So feel free to ask. But I find that releasing your insecurities and as an artist to be inquisitive and ask questions, you're actually taking the temperature of the room of the people around you if you're surrounded by the right group of artists who are going to allow discourse that only makes everyone involved better. If you get inquisitive with a group of people and those people shame you or or, or make you feel like you're not intelligent, that should be a sign that maybe this isn't the community you should be fucking with. Or. Or.
0: Yes. And. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Obsessed. I've been Uh, working on yes and in people.
2: No, I love it. I love it. I'm
0: obsessed.
2: It's good. It's good.
0: (laughs) But I also think and I also think that it sometimes pe- it reveals the reality of what the industry continues to amplify. Like the reality is a lot of these rooms ain't nobody asking questions.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: You know what I mean? Yeah, there's a
1: there's the definitive lack of questions,
2: yeah. And
0: if you are an artist that continuously finds yourself in these rooms where no one's asking any questions, yeah. then maybe you need to do some self-reflection about what am I exuding that makes people think that I want to be in these rooms.
1: Interesting. Do you mean, are you specifically maybe referring to more of a deeply commercial setting?
0: I think that it's both. I think that there, there's a myriad of things going on in the industry, right? Okay. There's you have commercial shows where it's like, we know the the teens are gonna love this. It'll last for a couple years, maybe. The fandom will be great. The stands will come out, and we'll put like a few black people in the back that'll be happy to be there, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have shows that want to be that claim to be progressive, but still the people of color exist inside of a box, and there's very little room to just be. I guess for me, you know, I get tired of talking about race because I'm just black. And what I mean by that is like I live the life I live and I experience the world the way I experience the world. What I don't do is to sit around talking about how I'm black all day. Mm -hmm. So when I'm in a show and it feels like I exist in that show simply because I'm black and we're talking about black things, it feels very, uh,
3: it feels like constrictive is that a word constrictive right. constrictive yeah. i think it is yeah constrictive hold on
1: constrictive tending to constrict freedom ladies and gentlemen and that's why we ask
2: questions yeah constrictive, constrictive. yeah and
0: that's not to say that every room is going to be the same you know right you're going in to like to be a swing and be more chill you know, I'm not really asking too many questions, except what number am I standing on? You know, yeah,
1: that's I mean, that's straight up technique. I
0: that's just that's just technique. That's just just the reality of the gig. And there's you know, thankfully in that show there was room to be myself, to bring myself to some of the characters, and it's like, and that's fine. Like that's what some shows ask of you, but yeah. I do think that it's important that as an artist that we really look at the idea that we don't, that goes back to the NAP ministry, that we don't have to say yes to everything because some things will leave you with less than what you came with.
2: Yeah, yes.
0: And you will spend time healing yourself, really asking yourself, is this what I want to do with my life? And I and i don't mean that in a dramatic way. I mean that in a very sincere yeah. way that it's, you know, a lot of people don't think that there's room for everybody and thus they carry themselves.
2: The
1: hoarding mentality you had been mentioning before.
0: The hoarding and this idea that it's me versus you. Yeah. And that's just like another component to the harm that people can do to others. I am threatened by no one because I am the only me that there is. Amen. And I I know that for a fact. Yeah, I was I was in my mama by myself, mm-hmm. so I know that, and I'm the only one that has experienced what I've what I've experienced, the way I've experienced, when I've experienced it, my response to the experiences that I've had, all those things have shaped who I am. So when I see someone, I, I make a point in auditioning to like. Smile and get to know all the black women around me, because none of them is going to take a gig from me that I was supposed to get, so why would I be an awful person? <laughs> you know why would why would I be an awful person, and that goes to the idea of you know self preservation that I think the way that I sleep at night, knowing that the world is the way that it is, yes, I'm frustrated, yes, I get you know upset. But I think everyone is out here simply trying to survive Yes. by any means necessary. And it's sad, the, you know, the effects that it's having on the world. But, you know, I think part of the revolutionary act is being like, I'm not going to let that change. Change me. That's I can't allow that to harden my heart right now. There's a man with a Trump sign across the street from my parents' house and I ride my bike every day for a few miles and I've started smiling and waving at him.
2: Yeah. Yes. Yes.
0: Cuz that's a testament to my strength. Yes. You know, that's a testament to me that <laughs> okay, somebody hurt you or you don't you don't even know the f- full beauty of the world that you get to exist in that you feel like you have to put all these nasty signs and flags and this is like a very suburban area and there's a lot yeah. of black people on our street and it's it's like I can't allow you to take I, as a person, have so much to give the world that I cannot allow somebody to take something from me without me allowing it. You don't even deserve my rage.
1: Yep, I 100% identify. And it's something that's been very intense for I think everyone is like having conversations with family, spicy shit, right? (laughs) (laughs) And literally over and over again, me saying, I love you. Don't get it twisted. Like I have enough love in my heart, even for people who support this Tom fuckery literally. to literally to give you. It's like the way something happened to me when I was in my forties. I don't know. I mean, I'm in my forties now, but I'm <laughs> if I'm like 56. Wouldn't it be amazing? I'm like, I'm 73. This, this, I am moisturized. Funny. All right. Um, <laughs> uh, thank you. Oily skin. um, but it's it's something happened to me in my forties where i I had this epiphany in the last couple of years where one I <laughs> kind of like let it go <laughs> there were a lot of things that I was like, i'm just gonna you know i'm I'm just gonna let that go now it doesn't mean that it does it sit inside of the the corpus is that the right word of like my musculature as a, as a spirit is it in the DNA of my soul? Does it affect me every day? Does it affect my point of view? Does it affect the way I think of work? Does it affect the way I express myself? Yes. But what it won't do anymore is rob me of love. Yes. Which is joy. Mm. And I refuse to let even these people rob me of that love because at the end of the day, I do think people in their core are decent people. There's a lot of bad people in the world. And I think whatever the storyline is that got, that got you there to literally put a fucking porch sign, just because you can't be the person I wish you were, doesn't mean that I can't be the opposite opposition of that and still acknowledge that you're someone's family and that you deserve to be treated like a fucking human being. Because the truth is, that's what these motherfuckers want. Now as I start cussing them out. They really want us to be against each other. And if we are divided in such a strong way, there's no hope for progress.
0: There isn't.
1: And I refuse to be divided and to hate people because, you know, it's like we all know this shit. Hate is just a is is just a half step down from love. (laughs) Yeah. It requires a lot of energy to hate somebody. You know, it's where it's where I love, you know gay culture, you know, how people are like, hate you? I don't even think about you. Like, do you know, it's like there's a lot of that shit going on, you know, where someone's like, oh, they hate me. And I'm like, I don't even think about you. And I don't mean that in a shitty way. Like, you don't occupy my thoughts in the morning. So, I know I don't hate you. Hate requires a great deal of energy. Okay? Medea hated people. Mm -hmm. Talking about some Greek-ass Medea. You -hmm. know, that was hate. Uh That was hatred. Like, great tragedies equal hatred the son in fences hates his father because he loves his father Mm -hmm. that's hate that is hate and people sometimes need to understand that it is so much fucking energy inclusive of us being artists also for us not to be divided against like the establishment and hate whoever, whatever the them means. I mean, you know, we actually could pull up pictures, but that's not the point. (laughs) Like the point isn't to hate them either. And it's a funny, I don't know how you feel about this. And I'm just, I'm just going off now. But it's a funny thing to be involved in an industry, right? Where we're chasing authenticity and everyone's core started at an obsession with imagination and turning that imaginary world into something that could actually happen in front of you live. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a funny thing. At the core, all of us theater folks are basically really mouthy Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) nine-year-olds. You know, that little thing inside of all of us that made us believe, we chose to harness it and then hopefully all believe together. So it's sort of hilarious that we're literally a group of little kids kind of playing emotional war with each other in a big sandbox.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I
1: mean, Does that make any sense? Am I, am I getting too esoteric? I don't know.
0: No, it makes sense. It's,
1: you know. Maybe war was too strong. I don't know.
0: I get what you're saying. I think for me that theater, at least for me, is this like looking glass into many worlds. Yes worlds that we would never know, you know, so to a white person going in a rural town in Kentucky going to see Clydeborne Park or fences or something, it's like well, that would be their experience, you know with black people yeah their 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 opportunity to see inside of you know a non now this is where it gets tricky, and where it gets. <laughs> Interesting, I guess I should say, is that TV and film and in the internet have more reach than theater. And it's heavily consumed by the average person.
1: Yes. And we put that in quotes in terms of demographic, everyone.
0: Yes. And, and, and in terms of, you know, where you money. live, how much money you have. Yeah. You know, money. Someone can screenshot a scene and send it, and, and you would have, but the theater is not as accessible. As you know TV and film are and we're, and we're seeing that now, yeah with the pause, so it's even that much more crucial at the nuancedness of of existences that that get funded mm-hmm. because if that is the introduction to life that people have, life that exists outside of themselves then why wouldn't we expect people to hold the stereotypes of non-them people that they have mm. of course they do of course they would hold the, those ideals i think about i went to germany when i was 16 for 3 weeks and it was life altering <laughs> and really yeah it was interesting by myself by yourself it was a sister cities program my hometown has two sister cities one is Sivatal, Germany. I stayed in a town called Flichstief. And okay. then the other one was to Corazaro, Japan. And so I was like, I'm going to go to Germany. I'm going to go to Europe. I feel more comfortable going to Europe than I do with Japan. Okay. Um, And I will never forget, we went to school with them. It was not for a grade or anything. But we went to school, me and the two other people. And they were reading a book about American teenage life. Mm. I thought like this is the best example of how, what we consume shapes our views of people we don't know. Okay. So they're reading this book and we get into class and you know, the book is like the teenagers are doing cocaine and they are drinking drunk and they ran running into walls and everyone's like on drugs and, you know, and I was like, um, what? Yeah. <laughs> and the front of the class, I was like, you know, not really. Like, obviously there's people everywhere that can be doing anything, but the kids that I know don't do that. And if they do it's definitely not to the extent that is expressed in this book.
3: Mm.
0: So sometimes when you're an outsider, And I don't remember if this is like a non-American writing this book about American life. And I think that that's also important to note, especially when it comes to authenticity, that sometimes if you aren't a part of a community and you're writing about it, you have the the tendency to, let's make it the most dramatic that we can make these people. What's going to shock? What's going to be interesting? Yes. And sometimes... That goes back to what I said in episode nine, it, it really devalues the simplistic daily tasks that all people go through, that their race or their gender or the economic class, that those things just affect, you know, the daily tasks differently. I think that's the mirror is like, let's live the life in a day of X, Y, Z, and let's live the life in the day of X, Y, Z. And let's just compare the little differences. Now, imagine that on a grand scheme of living your life. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think that that's the problem is that people want to show, you know, all black people living in a hood. Monolith. Yeah. And it's like, you can live in the hood and you can still have a loving, supportive family. Thank you. You know, like it doesn't yes. mean that your family is broken. You can yes. live in a house with your mom and your aunts and be loved, Yes, and provided for and nurtured, yes, and come out more than okay, where you live could just be a reflect- reflection of how the government has failed you, because, like we are looking at the way the government is literally failing everyone, yes, right now, yes, you know and maybe if we had taken the time before as a country to advocate for the little pockets of us. Who have been disenfranchised? That many, maybe so many of us wouldn't be disenfranchised in this moment. Why does it take it to hit your doorstep for you to feel anything?
1: What an interesting conversation to be having, literally as they're voting on this shit today. But one hundred, yes, exi- yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's all happy. <laughs> we'll we'll see how this goes. Um, uh, I, I I don't we'll talk about that next week. Shit, um, <laughs> yeah. So there there we go. Get ready, everyone. TikTok, tune, tune, subscribe. <laughs> subscribe subscribe to this uh, suppo- this is free click <laughs> that button okay this is free you are getting free knowledge right now i'm just going to live in that truth click the button click subscribe this is the most economical way you can support artists right now that being said i love that you said that shit it is that weird monolith too that for some reason poverty equals a broken family which is not true on any level families are broken at all financial levels we love watching rich white people make fucking mistakes it's the essence of hollywood right like according to you filmmakers of the majority of hollywood all of you who are even deep in wealth and privilege are fucked up just like everyone else <laughs> oh, God. I, I mean, hello. there's nothing more. I mean, it's why we're obsessed with watching the Crown. You know what I'm saying? Because you're like, oh my God, you've been you don't even have a choice. I'm as obsessed with those stories because I'm as fascinated by how people navigate into a life they were born into, be it wealth, a position of power, or lack thereof. I'm curious to see people navigate their way through those things and to see how they make it work, right? That's fascinating to me i love the underbelly of those of those stories everything in the middle is kind of like okay fine but nothing's in the middle nothing nothing's nothing's in the middle i actually think this is a great place for us to take a little recalibration break and let's continue this conversation about what all of that means in terms of authenticity and like the continuation of, of turning things into monoliths with monoliths <laughs> and <laughs> whatever whatever all that means. All right. So, hey, my, my beautiful people listening right now, if you haven't taken a meditation break with us before, my suggestion right now is put on your headphones. If you don't have them on, put them on. Take a minute. Press pause. And just enjoy this recalibration for 60 seconds. If you're somewhere, try to see if you can just breathe and ground your feet into the floor. All right. So we will be right back. Hi, this is Aaron. Your host and producer of the show. So there's a lot happening right now in the world. And rather than take a moment to have a commercial, I thought it would be nice
4: for us to take a moment and recalibrate. How does that sound? Excellent. Okay, so. Get comfortable, and we're going to take a deep breath in, and a deep breath out. Deep breath in, and just let it out. All right. Now close your eyes, and breathe normally. feel a little better now. And just remember, you are perfect and you are loved. Okay, let's get back to the show.
1: We're back. A little ASMR moment there. I'll still talk to you. My right hair been a little fuzzies around your brain. Feeling better? Okay. Let's keep talking about some real shit. With love.
2: And fury. <laughs> because
1: that's called being alive. Continuing the conversation about it being a lack of a monolith. Uh, I was sharing my story with Morgan off mic while the break was happening as if we're at a live studio, which in a sense we are, um, the live studio being my walk-in closet. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, what what do you want? It's a, it's a gift to have that in New York. Um, I should paint it, make it cute or like black and just be like this weird ominous figure, like lurking in the dark. Yeah, that'd be hot. I'll do that. I'll do that. Uh, All right. So, you know, I was raised, my mom, single mom, we were raised, you know, low income, But I had an interesting point of view on life because my grandparents were, you know, middle-class working family, but were from the Depression era where they really saved money and they knew how to do that and everyone had great credit. Then my uncles did really well for themselves and then I had aunts that did even better for themselves. So I got to live in all these different previews of economic life. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Like I'd go into the hills to my Aunt Hope my late Aunt Hope's house and my late Uncle Leo's house. And it was this glorious white house up on a little hill kind of thing. We'd stay there for the summer and it was just like Hampton's life.
0: Ooh, that sounds nice.
1: It was nice. I mean, it was literally idyllic, like with my cousin running up and down in this beautiful house, you know, with like vinyl records of like Gigi and um, shit like that, you know, making us, you know, her mac and cheese, which really was more kind of like a melted penne. It was really good.
0: It sounds good.
1: It was really good. And then she wanted, to this day, I make her green enchiladas, but she taught us the like... Can you shortcut. make
3: some?
1: I'll make, I'll make some, yeah. The shortcut way. We need to have like a big for fuck's sake family dinner. We really do. Like once we all get through all this dumb fuckery. Uh, <laughs> vote! God damn it, people. Vote so we can have dinner parties again. Shit. So I experienced all these different versions and then I went back to sort of being a low income kid, you know, buying things with food stamps, blah, blah, blah. The way I actually got into Phantom of the Opera was the Salvation Army adopted my family that year for like the Christmas family. And they got me the highlights to the Phantom of the Opera, the tape. Wow. And that's when my brain exploded. And I was like, what is this? What is this music and magic and fog? So, there you go. I would never ask for something else. But if that was Hollywood, everything would have to be tragedy. Mhm. You know, being, "Oh, here's the story of a young Mexican boy being raised by his single mom, impoverished, free lunches and food stamps, barely having shoes." Like, "No, bitch. Like we I I I spent my summers in the Santa Cruz mountains on the beach." Like, you know, it's, it's, yeah. families are varied. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you, you know, families have varied points of view. And to be honest, I'm so glad that I know what it's like to have nothing, even though we always had something, but nothing comparatively to families who had wealth, because it's taught me how to, frankly, be comfortable committing to this life in the arts, which is a life of uncertainty. You know what I'm saying? Which kind of leads into authenticity and survival. The survival mode of this particular time for us as artists is something I think that whether we like it or not, we've kind of been preparing for for quite some time.
0: Well, some of us have, you know, mastered this. And, you know, for others, I said, welcome.
1: Yeah. Yes. Well, it's interesting. (laughs) You know, let's, 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 let's. Share some thoughts. So it's been interesting to see the people who have bounced permanently from New York City. Mm -hmm. To them, I wish no harm and I can understand. It's very bleak. I will say this. I am fascinated by people who were living with two or three roommates, packing, moving. So let's go money, money, right? Going somewhere where they have to get a car. Money, 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 money money, and then somehow thinking that they're going to end up flush. I am fascinated by that. The second you say gas, car insurance, and car payment to me, I don't understand the disconnect with somehow thinking that life's going to be easier. So I have to say out loud, I'm taken aback by that choice. I don't don't understand. I mean, I know how much it is to run a car. So the car on top of the new rent on top of the movie and on top of all this.
0: Well, they, are they not moving home like with their families? Or? Well,
1: no, no. Yes, we all know people moving home with their families, which makes total sense. I mean, it's like we never see our parents anyway. They're like, come home. It's like, okay, fine. So you know, great. Let's save some money. Blah 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 blah. But I'm fascinated by the people who've chosen to move and also incur an expense that would be unbearable during this current economic depression to
3: anyone.
0: You know, I think that some people. Oh, are saying, you know, these things to, and, and, and it also comes with the. some My dog is acting crazy. It also comes with the, you know, the danger of this racial climate, specifically to theater that okay. there are buzzwords that you can say to to show I am woke. Buzzwords.
3: Woke. Buzzwords. Yes. Buzzwords. buzzwords.
0: Yes. You know. And I think the same thing goes for this moment that there are words that you can say, things that you can show to to indicate that, hey, I am also with you on this struggle, while also, if you don't look close enough, they're actually telling you they're not with you on this struggle, that they actually have a different a very different reality yeah um than than most, and I do think that a lot of people are actually afraid because multiple things can happen after this. You know, we might get an influx of different people of color creating for, you know, hopefully what I would hope would be for other people of color. But, you know, we've seen people of color get in positions and then they go and they employ a whole bunch of white people. And to that, I say, whatever, that's fine. I like to be where I am wanted. Anyway, and then you might, you know, you might see these situations where shows might keep, you know, whatever their trajectory was with maybe an all white creative team and a white cast. And so you as the performer who just spoke all this stuff online saying, you know, I believe in equity, I believe in these things. And then you go and you occupy that space, you know, there's that danger of like, okay, well, how do I show that I was not false in what I was saying before.
1: In particular with casting, right? There listen, it's going to be much much longer in the okay. process of the actual back end of teams getting any contrast in those pictures, okay? Don't get it twisted. It's oh. going to be a, it's going to be a hot minute. Now, I say this with all respect, the quickest way to respond is casting it's the quickest way
2: because but
0: let me say this i am a little unsure at least personally i'm unsure where the disconnect is there's parts of me that go it's casting's fault and by casting i mean you know the people that are sitting behind the table cast literally bringing the people in the room right versus You know, the real magic and the real meat of what's happening is in these final callback meetings where the director is in the room, the producer is in the room and the casting agent is in the room. That's where the real truth of what's going on is is actually needed to be exposed because we don't know if the casting agents are saying, here's the people that I'm giving. These are the people I will pick. And the director's saying, well, these are the people that I would pick. And the producer is saying, well, I don't want those people. You know, I feel like sometimes some directors, and, and this goes with the hierarchy thing, and capitalism. I feel like sometimes, maybe, because I never want to say it's you or it's you or it's you because we don't know. Yeah. We actually don't know what's happening. And I'm talking about in the highest paid form of theater. I'm not talking.
1: I, yeah, we're talking about the ultimate commercial. ultimate commercial.
0: Yeah. I'm not talking about you know what's happening possibly in Brooklyn or in your friends I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the work that is getting people health insurance, year-long contracts. I'm talking about that, you know, that Broadway pay. Um we don't know what those conversations are. Like we don't know who is picking the the passing people or who is casting all white we don't know who is saying this is what i want and that's not what i want and no one in the room is going to point fingers at someone else because that's where their checks come from or their integrity the the producer doesn't want to be told that they're picking all white people because that's their money and if you snitch on the producer you're not going to get funded by anybody. No. Nope. The casting agent's not going to say it wasn't me; it was so and so and so because then no other people are going to be getting work from the casting agent. The director is at the mercy of the producers because they need their money, they need their checks, they need their future funding. And I mean, that's I mean that's really where where it is. I, you know, at least for myself, as someone that has some things that they want to work on. Will I use one of these agencies that probably is bigger? Maybe. But I will say if a prerequisite is I want the assistant on the project to be Black. And I'll pay for them to follow you and shadow you. Because I want them to be in these rooms and know what's going on. You know, give them the accessibility to these, to what's happening. Because we need we need to know what's happening.
2: Yes.
1: Yes. There need, yes. Yes. Which... Completely brings it all back around to, and obviously, this shit is a sensitive topic to me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> getting the fucking people behind the table who have some goddamn, this I hate this word diversity.
0: Yeah, I hate that word too, but I get it. I
1: hate it. But the diversity on the back end is the initial little line of powder that leads to that fucking keg, yo. Like, you want some shit to blow up, you need some people on the back end who are going to advocate. And then at least, maybe, maybe, oh shit, maybe this is the fear. The fear is, is if there is that quotient of people on the back end. The fear is that they know by utter unspoken, how do I explain this? By the unspoken agreement, especially let me just use our community, that most people in the arts who are not white, we just tell each other shit. (laughs) Like if you asked me about a casting process, let's say tomorrow I got on Broadway. Right? They're like, hey, Salazar, come be an associate or be the assistant. And then I was in a show, and all of a sudden that show turned out to look one way. I'm not going to put it in the paper, but I'm going to fucking tell you what happened. Yeah, Maybe that's the fear. Does that make
0: sense? I, that does make sense. And I also think that if a show is going to be all white, then just stand behind it and just let it be what it is.
2: Yes,
1: exactly. That's not a bad thing either. It's just just be real.
0: We need to also accept the fact that why are we screaming so much for people that's impulses are not to include us, to include us. I don't want to be there if they don't want me to be there.
2: Exactly.
0: If their impulse is not to put black people or any type of non-white person in a space or to put you no know, non white people that might as that look like white people in the space you know we have to stop begging
1: yes empty chairs
2: and empty tables
0: i love myself i have gone to the point where i love myself too much yeah to just simply exist in a space to just exist in a space and it's dangerous like asking hey your cast is too white put other people of color in there is a very dangerous ask. Yeah, Who is there to support those people when, when the conversations we know that happen are gonna happen? You know, it's more nuanced than just being in the space. It's being in the fabric, it's being in the yarn, it's being in the thread, it's being in the inception, it's being in the process. There's so many things that are important and, and we have to be real Nobody looks at a black body on stage and doesn't try to figure out why it's there.
2: Just let that marinate for a second. Yeah.
4: We haven't gotten to that point yet.
1: <laughs> no, but and 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 to like you said, to that point, anytime it isn't literally portraits of Jesus from Sweden looking, <laughs> people are like, Mer? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, or or let, let's be real. Like let's say someone uh like the all the Latinos uh, and Latinx people well actually no let me let me I'm a man, I identify as a man, like Latin men like me, where it's just enough that someone's gonna be like, Oh, who's that exotic person they cast?
0: Right. Mm. Where
1: like you're just exotic enough because you're clearly not from any kind of Aryan nation. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's you're right. There is no way. To win in that circumstance, no, but it kind of brings around to authenticity in the sense that I also think too, that, yes, th- there are specific stories that need to be told for everyone, just everyone, all inclusivity, right? All there's specific stories for everybody. But I also hope that there's also just stories being told for the sake of stories, yes, where the reflection of what it looks like on stage, yeah okay, this is this is what's really on my spirit. Maybe. If we just cast whoever the best person was, by total default, without fear in that casting process, you would actually end up with a really beautifully inclusive cast where everyone gets wrapped on some level. As opposed to the expectations in your mind, eye, right, of what you think that success looks like on stage. Or your fear of lack of acceptance of what people are going to consider to be viable. As a director, it just hit me during this pandemic how much fear I've had of a certain audience not accepting my work, and I never identified it till till I've had time to sit and think that I'm like, oh my god,
4: I've been afraid of white audiences not liking something. Yeah, which has led to aesthetic. In previous productions, even though it's a brown person running it.
1: That's how fucking insidious this shit is in terms of assimilation. And let alone, bless your heart, if you are a totally empathetic, I hate the word woke. If you're an empathetic, educated, sincere, ally-driven white person, you don't even realize that your fear of a certain aesthetic being the thing is so deeply ingrained in you that maybe in your perfect little mind, you're like, yeah, she's the best. He's the best. They're the best. Yeah. Why don't I take the risk and put them all on stage and see if something beautiful happens? I think that's where maybe going into authenticity, maybe in in some utopian way, but not even. Maybe if we're actually authentic and trust our gut, maybe that's the way, in terms of commercial theater in particular, the change will slowly just start to happen because you're going to see varied bodies on stage if you're following your gut and not your fear. Look. (laughs) I wish you could see Morgan's face. She's like,
4: okay.
0: (laughs) Look, I wanted to do an experiment like a year or two ago where it's like four or five directors, they have to cast a show same know the show the same show and it's auditions where you don't see who's singing
2: oh all right so like the voice yeah yeah
0: and so you like are listening to them sing you call them back based on numbers and you cast the show based upon what it sounded like and unpacking why does it look this way versus why does it look this way i think we're all having to Unpack a lot of things. And I really do think that education just reinvigorates this idea of what is considered superior, what is considered palatable, marketable, mm-hmm. commercial. And it, I really do think that oftentimes it can stifle the imagination of the real world. Yeah. Because it, it's the real world. That's why I hate the word diversity.
2: Yeah.
0: It's like I just see people. All different kinds of people, so I don't understand a world that doesn't show and reflect that, especially when the world is not specific to a demographic yes, so fences make sense because it's very specific, yes, and it's a it's a viewpoint in, but if this is like this is a town of everyday America, yeah it's not a satire, you yeah. know, and then it's like. Okay, uh, why does it look like, you know, the Princess Diaries or Sex in the City? It doesn't make any sense why yes. the world looks like that because you told me that this is everyday America. You said it.
2: Yes, 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 yes. With the T
1: word comes in of tokenism. Okay. Then when you're in Pleasantville and it's all one aesthetic, which is interesting because it bears, yeah, I think actually i'm gonna I'm just gonna use it, I'm just gonna say it.
4: I have not seen Dear Evan Hansen pause for gasp. great we, we've, okay, there it is now, all I kept
1: asking when I would look at the you know production photos, and obviously, you know, from my former job i've I've heard that song, which I quite like many times, and I wave sometimes through glass as well, um <laughs> uh. It's a, it's a fucking great song. What are you gonna do? It's great. It's fucking great. It's really good. Uh, I remember just asking people over and over again, uh, sincerely, like not even like maliciously, not to be combative. I'm like, does race play any role in it? Because I know there's a lot of social constructs about it, and sort of like mental illness. And no matter who it was, no matter what ethnicity anybody was, there was this deep pause. Solid eight counts, and they go. No, no, not at all. Not at all. But I was just curious, like, okay, is there any relation where this can't be more of a mixed town that just looks like life?
0: Well, let me say this.
1: <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to cut this, by the way. I, I just throw
3: it that out there.
0: Okay. Right. I, let me say this. While I understand what you're saying, you know, because this is a town, why is the town looking like this? There's also some stuff that I feel like is very just reserved for white people to experience. Ain't no black child getting away with all them lies. Copy that. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Like sometimes I have to go. Mm, like the humans, the humans could have been any family. I loved the humans. I loved that play. I thought, sure.
2: it was great. I it. Yeah. It
0: was one of the best things. So I didn't know what it was about. But I got a rush ticket in the front, and I was like, somebody about to hit me. I can feel it. Yeah. It felt like very immersive being in the front row. Yeah. Not knowing what was about to happen. This play is so good. The relationships are so clear. Anybody could play these people. Yeah. It was great. And it was great, and I never went, ooh, why is it all these white people up here? I was like, this was good. Yeah. And so let me also be clear like this. Nothing wrong with having shows with all white people. No. To say, they need to be good. I'm so done with mediocrity and the, not survival, the thriving of mediocrity. Oh, my God. There's a difference for me. I'm like, yes. how are you average? And you have wealth from this. Yes. Like, how how is the bare <laughs>
1: minimum merit praise?
0: I don't understand it.
1: I will never fucking understand. I will never understand.
0: You know, my, my personal style is like, um, pretty chill. I'm very like bow chic. I would, was- <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just like chill. Like, I don't like really wearing dresses or things like that. And it's like, you know, people love like mysterious white people, like they love it when they're like, oh my god, like they they're wearing a garbage bag, like look at that, like, yes, sis, do nothing, you know, like they love that stuff, yes, it's like when black people, you know, for lack of a better term, like if black people look like with uh, a Jaden or willow or Zoe. There's like one, it's like they must be on drugs. <laughs> like no, it's
1: different. called style.
0: It's like, yeah.
1: It's style. Yeah. They're just living their life. And
0: it's it's like it's part of your expression of like yeah of self. Like the idea of always having to be and by slave for the gods. I mean like Beyonce slave for like this idea that it's like, look at her, she's fabulous, gowns, but you know, that's not everybody's style. And why is that also contributed to that's what a star looks like. It's yes. like I already know I'm probably gonna be playing a witch on the CW in the next like two years. All right. Like I'm very aware of like the vibes I get off. Right. And that is because people don't have nuancedness when it comes to black women. We're either in the White House fixing the president's problems, i.e. Olivia Pope, or we're like 14 years old. Oh shit. It's like there's no nuance <laughs> of And I'm going to say for black women, there's a lot of biracial women that stand in the space for black women. And I, you know, that's also like a tricky subject because a lot of that stems from colorism. You know, it's interesting, like, because I sent you that Jessica Krug thing. It's Mm. interesting how easily if you are light or you give the very you know, subtle hints of blackness. And I mean that in the, the palatability of your blackness that people will not hesitate to put you in a spot. Mm-hmm. You know, look at them, their hair curls when the water gets on it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> them, they got green eyes. Oh, and, dark people, and dark people do have green. Dark people have all kinds of eyes. The, the ease at which you can occupy a space, which would be fine if I could then occupy this the your space as well. And we don't see that. We see people, I call them like ethnicity vultures, that they'll be go play Latina, they'll go play Filipino, they'll go play this and this and this and this. And what it allows them to do is to be disconnected from the realities of those actual people. Like they're lived experiences. You know, if I'm in a space with someone that wrote a story about an Indian woman and they want me to play that part, of course, there's going to be very little that bothers me because that's not my experience. And I'm not saying that me as Morgan, I'm saying a Black person might be more at ease with letting idiosyncrasies and nuanced things be present because they're disassociated. They don't feel like this is bigger than just me taking up a space. Like people are going to consume this, who live this every single day. Yes. And so when you let people inside of a space and it's not their experience. And like I said, it is, it's tricky. Like, of course we're actors. We should shape shift. We should be able to embody, you know, experiences, experiences that aren't necessarily exactly like our own. Yes. But, it's interesting because I was watching a clip from a documentary talking about the trans experience in films and that how it is dangerous.
2: Oh, disclosure?
0: Yeah.
1: Yes, disclosure. Everyone watch disclosure. It is on Netflix.
3: Disclosure.
0: How is dangerous when men go and play women that are trans in films because yeah. What happens is people that are consuming these these movies in this art, they're watching these men dress up as women and then go accept an award as a man. Yeah. You know, and it's and it's driving home this transphobia. That's like, no, it's not. That's a trans woman who has more to give. <laughs> you know, the art form and, and that piece of art through her lived experience than any man, that's like, I'm I'm just going to do some studying. You can't do studying with life. It's incomparable, you incomparable. Know? And if a community is crying out and saying that something is dangerous, the least we could do is say, you know what? They said it's dangerous, so it's dangerous.
2: Yes.
1: And what was amazing with that documentary on so many levels, we're just so eye-opening. I mean, I'm kind of floored by it as we speak. But also like the danger with cisgender men playing those roles and writing the roles, how, Mm -hmm. for some reason, the trans experience has always been framed with some form of deception. Mm
0: -hmm. People
1: reacting, oh, you deceived me. And I'm like, "That a trans person does not owe you an explanation. And their very existence to be portrayed as deception is fucking disturbing.
0: It is!
1: It's so disturbing to be like, the whole point of you and the way that we've consumed you as a trans man or woman, that your whole existence is predicated on secrecy and then deception. And also then, the lack of acceptance of a cisgender person accepting that you are the gender you are is fucking horrifying
0: it is horrifying
1: and it's and yes. it's the, it's the perpetual narrative we get going or shame or shame which i'm so glad if you haven't watched that documentary really watch it because i'm sure there's a lot of people listening right now who feel <laughs> woke and allied but watch that shit and just see how insidious the narrative has been like you said bringing it full circle back around to what we consume and the way people view other people
0: it's all about the the palatability of someone taking a space versus allowing the person that's lived it to take the space. And I often find that that stems from, or I have observed and I have deduced, <laughs> that it stems from the people making it not fully being confident in their research or their creation to allow the people they claim to be authentically representing to authentically represent themselves.
2: You know, an example of that is Pose.
0: Ah.
2: Yes, thank you.
1: You know, Ryan Murphy, for all his problematic issues prior to this, as he was coming on the up and up, one of them being the portrayal of a trans character on Nip Tuck is he said, without making a mission statement, when he finally had the money and finally had the authority, he looked up and realized, why, why is this team all one type of person? And he said he vowed to himself from that point forward that minimum 50% of his team would be people of color, trans people, dot, dot, dot. And without asking permission, he simply did it. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And the fruits of that labor of allyship and someone finally kind of truly awakening and realizing there needs to be an authenticity of storytelling here from lived experience he's now living in that truth he's put his money where his mouth is you know it took a great deal of time Mm -hmm. to get there and i think maybe that's what the journey is going to be for the arts is the fear of money and like there we go failure being the thing that is going to make this process take quite some time yeah possibly possibly
3: yeah
1: and i hope what happens is that we don't just hope that every person who gets the opportunity has to be the golden calf (laughs) right You, you don't have to be the golden calf You know, you don't, and I'm hoping with what Lincoln Center is doing, which is great, which is an interesting thing, right? We talked about that, how they just were like, so this is what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Yep, done. Yeah. That people continue that and also allow those works to develop and fail. But it'll be interesting to see how we stay authentic as ourselves as artists and how that's going to translate into this next chapter for all of us as creators, which in the next episode, everyone. Uh, Morgan, I really want to talk to you about your writing. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) no, I really do because I mean, I've been fascinated just from our conversations with what your narrative is. I mean, I'm lucky enough that I'm I'm getting to read some of your work, but I'd be, I think it would be an interesting thing to unpack. Everyone, this is your teaser to come back to episode eleven to talk about what drives you as a writer and how you went from being the person reciting other words to realizing, I want to take that power and write the words. Mm.
0: I'll be thinking on it.
1: Think about it. Think about it. All right, everyone. Yo, Morgan, thank you so much. I, I really, I can't tell you how appreciative I am of your, your time and your generosity and your spirit and doing all of this with a fucking sinus headache. Uh, you're the best you're the best alright by the way everyone if this is Morgan with a sinus headache we can all do better I think in general in life uh, alright everyone thank you so much for listening please be sure to click that subscribe button uh, support these artists who are part of this and until I see you next time everyone be healthy be actionable and most importantly be authentic much love for Fuck's Sake Podcast is brought to you by Alvarez Kiko Salazar Productions, hosted and produced by Aaron Salazar. Original music by Manuel Vallejo and Giancarlo Bonfanti. Please like, rate, and subscribe. Follow us on Instagram at 4FS underscore podcast and on Twitter and Facebook at 4FS podcast. Thanks so much. Much love.